Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, and we're going to pick up now with our series on Revelation. I want to recap a very significant idea from chapter 12 and chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Now, the dragon is the one that was revealed in chapter 12, verse 3, the sign of the great fiery red dragon coming down from heaven. And in verse 7, war broke out. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. We find out who the dragon was in verse 9 of chapter 12. The great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called whom? The devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. So now you have the dragon in chapter 12, what I call the sea beast of chapter 13. But don't stop there. I just want to call to your attention in verse 11. Then I saw another beast, Alos, Another of the same kind, not heteros, another of a different kind, another of the same kind coming up out of the earth. So we have a dragon and a sea beast and now a land beast. And the land beast had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now, catch that right there. Just as there is a trinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as the end of the world begins to come, and we're in the middle of this symbolic uh, uh, revelation, the revelation of symbols, which represent reality on earth, in the tribulation period, now there is the trinity of evil. There is the dragon, and there is the sea beast, and there is the land beast. Now show you how, how much of, a, of an imitator the old devil is. Look at what chapter 13 verse 12 says. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship not him, the second beast, but whom? The first beast. Who does that sound like? The Holy Spirit's job is not to make people worship him, is it? Holy Spirit's job is to glorify Christ. And so you see, the second beast, or the third person of the trinity of evil, is just like the Holy Spirit, whose task is to cause people to worship the first beast. I call that to your attention to show you how all the forces of evil are brought together in one great uh, attempt to stamp out the, the, the gospel and the truth of God and the word of God in this prophetic time. And the time that is being described here is coming. It's in the near future. It is not far off. I read a, uh, an article, an interesting article by Arthur Schlesinger, Jr., the other day, 
And, and this is what he said, quote, suppose someone a short decade ago had predicted that within 10 years, the world would see the disappearance of the Soviet Union, the decommunication of Eastern Europe, the unification of Germany, the bloody breakup of Yugoslavia, the end of apartheid in South Africa, the marketization of China, near revolutionary political upheavals in Japan and Italy, and now the handshake on the White House lawn between the Prime Minister of Israel and the head of the Palestine Liberation Organization. Now, he said, the failure of prediction permits us to act as if our choices make a difference. What he's saying is, the fact that we can't predict that these things would have happened is a reminder or allows us to act as if our choices are in control of this world. Ladies and gentlemen, the things he just described could not have happened because of man. And they could not have happened by accident. I mean, the, the breakup of the Soviet Union, the, the breakup of Eastern Europe, the unification of Germany, these are things that happened because God was exercising his sovereign control over the world. And I don't want you to ever forget, you and I have lived through some of the most portentous times in history. We have seen what guns cannot do, what arms cannot do, what, and as President Clinton said, for the first time since the beginning of the Cold War, there are no Russian missiles aimed at the United States. It's an incredible time, and God did it. He brought the world to this point. He brought down economies. And, and I stand in awe of what's happened in this world in the last six years. And I see this truly is the hand and a demonstration of the sovereignty of God. Yet in spite of that, Christians will still be fooled. And those who will remain after the rapture will still be fooled by this one last great attempt to destroy the people of God on the earth at this time in the book of Revelation. And the reason is, in spite of all the Bible teaching and all the Bible knowledge, people don't obey the truth. William Golding, the English novelist who won the 1983 Nobel Prize for Literature, the day after he won the Nobel Prize for Literature, he had parked wrongly in the town of Wiltshire. And as he returned to his automobile, the parking um, traffic ticket woman or whoever she was, I don't even know what to call, what do they call them in England? She was writing out a ticket for him. And as he walked up to get his ticket, she looked at him and said, what's the matter with you, sir? Can't you read? And the day before, he'd won the Nobel Prize for Literature. And now he's parked in the wrong place getting a parking ticket. What's the matter, Christians? Can't you read? Do you not see what the Scripture is saying? How can we be fooled in this age by Satan, let alone be fooled in the age to come when the Holy Spirit has been withdrawn? Now, as I, as I perused chapters 12 and 13, I felt that there was such a magnificent outline of the work of Satan in this world that I could not go on with a verse-by-verse -verse exposition until we dealt first with the four major 
actions of Satan in this world. And I want you to see them. And I want you to see them in this prophetic scripture. And then I want to make the application to our lives. Because all of the scope of his work is covered in these four areas. First, he seeks to incriminate God's pardon. He is the accuser. He seeks to incriminate God's pardon. He is the accuser. We'll come back to that. Secondly, he seeks to intimidate God's people. He is the persecutor. He is always the persecutor. He seeks to intimidate God's people. Third, he seeks to invalidate God's place. He seeks to invalidate God's place. He is the usurper. And fourth, he seeks to imitate God's power. He is always the deceiver. The deceiver. So there you have the four actions of the devil. In every age, this is the way he works. He's the accuser. He's the persecutor. He is the usurper. And he is the deceiver. And that describes the way he works even in our age. And you will see all of these in the prophecy about what he's going to do in the world in the future. It is a magnificent glimpse, almost a portrait gallery of his work. And here we are. Number one, he is the accuser. He seeks to incriminate God's pardon. Now look at chapter 12 and verse 9. The great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. Now underline this, everybody, look at this in your Bible. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. If you want to know what Satan does with his time today, I will tell you what he does. He stands before God and he is constantly seeking to incriminate God's pardon, God's grace. And say, oh no, Ermie Morris, you are not forgiven for that dumb thing you did 30 years ago. He stands before God to accuse you and to accuse me. God, do you know Linda Brown? Let me tell you about Linda Brown. She is this, and she is, and God, do you know Helen Allen? She is, and he is constantly accusing the brethren. His time is taken up with making accusations against you. That is his work. And he does that in three ways. First, he accuses before God. He accuses before God. Now hold your hand here and go back to 1 John chapter 2 verse 1. Because in chapter 2 verse 1, John gives us a little clue about this. My little children, verse 1, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, why would John want you to be sure to know that you had an advocate? I'll tell you why. Because you have an accuser. Because you have an accuser. And when you've confessed your sin and been completely forgiven by the blood of Christ, 
Satan is still there before God doing everything he can to accuse you, and Christ is equally there. He is your advocate. He is your lawyer. He is defending you. He is constantly re appropriating, reappropriating, as it were, the blood of Christ to say, oh, no, God, that has been forgiven and forgotten. Secondly, and by the way, just remember, any time the devil accuses you before God, quote Romans 8, 1, amen, there is therefore now no what, class? Condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful truth that is. No condemnation. There's no grander truth. There is no more freeing truth in all the Bible than the fact that when you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. But secondly, he is not only the accuser of the brethren before God, he is the accuser of the brethren before self, within your heart, your conscience. He will bring up memories about what you did, even after you've confessed. He does it constantly. He causes that conscience to remind you. He will bring it up in your mind. He'll bring it up in your heart. Oh, do you remember what Debbie Gibbons for, did four years ago? Debbie, Debbie, you're no good. You, you, you're no good. You, because, uh, after all, you did this, and you think you can get away with that and just be forgiven by God? And he's constantly accusing your conscience and your heart and your mind and your soul. And many of us, and some of us, because of our personality and the way we were raised, are much more susceptible to that. But, uh, by the way, I don't know anything about Debbie. I'm not accusing her. I'm just using her for an example. You understand that, don't you, Debbie? Okay. But, but uh, uh, she's a PK, so, and I know that so I can pick on her because I know she understands. She's a preacher's kid, and she'll understand. Uh, but, but that is the second way that he accuses us. He accuses us in our conscience. Go back to 1 John. I like this book because it's so close to Revelation, and, and I don't have to wait forever for you to go back and find Habakkuk. Uh, but in 1 John chapter 3, you will see another clue to that beginning in verse 19. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, if my inner heart, my conscience condemns me after I've been forgiven by Christ and forgiven by the blood and forgiven by God, if my heart condemns me, I love this verse. Look at this. God is greater than our heart and knows all things. He knows that I've been cleansed by the blood. He knows that I met Christ at Calvary. He knows that my sin has been washed away. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we can have confidence before God. The condemnation of the heart can drive one absolutely batty. If you don't learn to receive God's forgiveness and learn the truth of verse 19 and verse 20, the devil has destroyed people by that inner condemnation. And he does it within us, in the mind, the heart, the conscience. You're no good. You're no good. You're no good. You're not forgiven. Not forgiven. You're not worth it. You're not worth it. The third place that he accuses us is before others. He is the accuser of the brethren before others. I must go back to the most important passage on this. King Solomon wrote some of the greatest things that have ever been written 
Because you remember when he asked to be, when God, when, when uh, David made him king, he asked for wisdom from God and God gave it to him. And in Proverbs 6, he is very, very clear. The worthless person who has perversity in his heart devises evil continually and sows discord. And how does he do it? Verse 19. A false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among the brethren. Ladies and gentlemen, the third way that the devil accuses us is through gossip and slander and malicious talk in the body of Christ. I am still amazed at some of you in this body who, after knowing the fullness of the Spirit, knowing the power of God, knowing the power of the devil. I am not one of those who believes that the devil is behind everything. If I trip over that mic, I'm not going to blame it on the devil. I'll blame it on myself. But by the same token, I don't want to deny there is a devil and there are demons at work in this world and they can agitate us. They cannot indwell us, but they can agitate us and they cause us to make statements and say things which sow discord among the brethren. And strangely enough, we in the body of Christ become the purveyors of Satan's tricks and the channels of his work when we sow lies. Have you heard about Phil Deal? <laughs> now, now I, I, I love Phil Deal, but the buts will always get you into trouble. Now, I love Phil, but, but you need to know. And, and, and we probably need to pray for him. Now, now, right there is where it gets into trouble. There are more. You know why we don't pray for each other more honestly and openly? Now, hear this carefully. We don't pray for each other and we don't request prayer for each other because invariably if I told five things I was dealing with last week in people's lives and I asked you to pray for them, you would go out of here and twist and distort and tell that in a way that would destroy somebody rather than building somebody up. And when you do that, you sow discord among the brethren and you are doing the work of Satan. And it happens almost every week. He seeks to incriminate God's pardon, to say that the grace of God is not pure, clean, and free. You ask yourself about every rumor that you repeat, do I know this is true? And we don't pray for each other the way we ought to because we're scared to death of each other. We don't trust each other. Frankly, I understand why. There are some things if I tell people, they will come back to me and they'll come back twisted and just, I've tried it. I've pulled it on some of you. I've told some of you only one person something and I'll hear it when I hear it because you're the only one I told. You know, that's a good way to ask about repeating something. What if I'm the only person he ever told that to? and it gets back, he will know exactly where it came from. And I've done that to some of you, and I've heard it come back, and I know what happened. I know who to tell things and not to tell. And that's tragic in the body of Christ. Now, I'm sure that never happens on the mission field, Larry, does it? <laughs> Prayer requests. 
That is why the Old Testament says, Thou shalt not bear false witness. He's talking about more than lying. He's talking about saying the things which destroy somebody. Nothing is worse than being falsely accused for something you did not do. There is If you've ever been falsely accused, do you know the feeling? It's a mixture of rejection. It's a mixture of frustration. It's a mixture of betrayal. It's a mixture of deceit. Nothing is worse than being falsely accused. School teachers, be careful. Don't ever accuse somebody of taking the dollar off your desk until you got clear, absolute evidence. And even then, always cut the guilty some slack in case you're wrong. Hmm. This is only point one, and it's 9.57. I, I'm going to have to move on here. Number two, although I probably ought to just preach the whole time on point one, <clears throat> and all the people said what? Amen. Amen. The second thing the devil is, though, and it comes to a consummation in this tribulation period, is he's a persecutor. He's a persecutor. Look at chapter 12 and verse 13. When the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. And then again, verse 17, the dragon was enraged with a woman and it went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, the second thing he does, he always seeks to intimidate God's people. Intimidate God's people. Here he's persecuting them. You know, it's interesting. I studied the etymology of the Greek word for persecute. You know what it means? It means to cause to flee, to break up, to cause to run. To persecute God's people is to cause to be scattered, to drive away from each other. That's literally the word persecute. Now, when you apply this to missions... Frankly, folks, some of the greatest missionary advances in the world have been made when the church had to be disseminated or dispersed. Now, hold your hand here and go back to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. I'll give you just one example of that. But in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, you'll see this when Saul was consenting to Stephen's death, Acts 8, 1. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And here they are in their little comfortable niche in the metropolitan area of Jerusalem. And when the persecution began, they were all scattered. And the scattering caused the dispersal of the gospel wherever they went. And the Greek word is euangelizo. Uh, they didn't go carusoing. They went evangel uh, evangelizoizing, which is good newsing. <laughs> good newsing. They were just preaching the truth of the gospel. That's all they were doing. And they were dispersed to do that. When Satan comes upon the church, as he did the church in Peru, through the Sendera Luminosa in many cases, there was terrible weeping for the persecution. Satan always loves to persecute God's people. In this passage, the woman represents the people of God. Because see, if the church is gone, this is Israel who produced the male child that he wanted to destroy. So in prophecy, the woman of the people of God, in every age, he's after the people of God. If I could tell you how the devil has been after this church 
for the last six years. I have it all journaled. I have it all written down. And someday when I'm gone and everybody who's involved is gone, somebody take that journal and you'll have a great illustration of how the devil tried to destroy a church. From the time that woman danced a little circle in the back there asking the devil to destroy me. And five days later, I have my heart attack and heart surgery with no warning. You have no idea and I cannot ever publicly tell everything that God has seen us through because Satan was persecuting. And I'm not, a para, I'm not a paranoid person. You can talk bad to me and I don't see it as persecution. I just think you got a problem. I, I, but, but I'm telling you, folks, uh, I, I've watched what happened firsthand, very close. And the devil has been doing everything he can to destroy this church. He always persecutes people of God. You know, Peter gives us some clue to this in 1 Peter chapter 4. Just turn back right there from Revelation to it if you can. And he gives us an interesting perspective in verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. When you you suffer, don't think something strange has happened to you. If you're the child of God, the devil's always persecuted the people of God. He tried to destroy Joseph. He tried to destroy Joseph way back there. He tried to destroy uh, um, Isaac. The devil tried to destroy David. The devil tried to destroy uh, the prophets, Jeremiah. The devil tried to destroy Peter. The devil tried to destroy the church. Nero, representing the devil, tried to destroy the church in the Roman Empire. There's been persecution in every age. Don't think it's strange, he says. Verse 13. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached, persecuted for the name of Christ, blessed are you. Oh, that seems strange, but here's how. Blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Because when Satan tries to disperse the people of God and cause you to flee, what happens? On their part, the persecutors, God's name is blasphemed. But on your part, it gives God a chance to glorify himself and show his power. And I think it's funny, and I want to say to the devil, ha, ha, ha. In Romans 8, you thought you were destroying the church, and God used it to spread the gospel and build the church. And that's what Peter is saying. On their part, the name of God is blasphemed, but God in his sovereign power takes the satanic persecution of his people, and he turns it around to glory and blessing. Isn't that wonderful? When I'm living under the hand of God, that is the way he works. And that's true for you as an individual. There's somebody at work who's always doing you in because you're a Christian or because you've taken a stand or because you won't run around with her or whatever. You can go to the places she goes. I must move on. There is a third thing that is the task of the devil. He seeks to invalidate God's place. Invalidate God's place. He is the usurper. From the beginning, when the origin of Satan is described in Isaiah, he said, I will go up to the Father. I will pull God down. I will take his throne. He has always been the usurper. And what he wants in terms of God's throne in heaven is what he wants in terms of God's throne in your life. So he wants to invalidate the sovereign power and place of God. And that is why all throughout this passage, 
the goal of this trinity of evil in the prophetic future is to get people from worshiping God and to worship uh, the, the, the devil. Worship the beast. That's the task of the Antichrist, who is the first beast. Worship me. Look at what I can do. I'm the Christ. And he deceives Israel, who's still looking for the Messiah, because they rejected the first one. The goal of the beasts is to promote idolatrous worship of himself, the devil. It's as simple as that. It's always his goal. And anything which removes God from the throne of your life, watch out, it could well be satanic. That is the way he works. He works to get your eyes off of things. I was talking with one of our church members the other day who acknowledged he had not been in church in three years. Three years. I couldn't any more go without the Lord's people for three years than I could go without a banana for three years. Amen? I wouldn't go that long without a banana. Imagine, imagine starving for three, imagine a three-year fast, a three-year spiritual fast. I guess he figured he got so much. In the two years he came, he, he could fast for three years. I'll tell you what, I, couldn't, I wouldn't last that long, would you, Tom? I wouldn't last that long. Because here when the people of God get together is when the Lord loves and delights to show his presence and his power. And in the presence of God, sin doesn't stand, so we confess. And in the presence of God, greed doesn't stand, so we sub surrender. And in the presence of God, pride doesn't stand, so we submit to him. He is the great usurper. He will always seek to take the place of God in every age. And I must close with this. He is the great deceiver. He seeks to imitate God's power. Look, at folks. All through this passage, that's what's going on. Look at chapter 13, verse 13. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And men will say, wow, that must be God. Fire came down from heaven. Oh, no. There are some things the devil can do. Hey, do you remember when, uh, when God sent the plagues on Egypt? And there were certain things that the Egyptian magicians can do, could do that were just like what God was doing. And Satan can do some things. Now, his power is limited, but he can do some things. And in the next verse, in verse 14, the scripture says, He deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. See, he deceives telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. We'll talk about that next week. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. If I had an idol up here and that idol talked to you, what would you say? How many of you would say, oh, that's God. I got to fall down and worship. Is that what you would say? I'd say Tony Morris has hidden a speaker in there. And that's his voice. That's what I'd say. I wouldn't believe it, would you? I hope you wouldn't. <laughs> to believe that that's God manifesting himself. And this beast, in verse 16, causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. See, that's the work of the Antichrist, which is what the second beast, the land beast, carries out, the work of the first beast. It is economic deception, trying to make you think that if you have this mark, 
Now, listen to this interpretation because of the context. The context is in, in deception. Now, now, most interpreters of Revelation, they go off speculating about this 666 and what the mark on the forehead or the right hand would be. But I want to tell you, the way it's going to happen is, it is in the context of the deception of Satan. So somehow, he's going to use that sign to appeal to you that if you have that sign, you'll be blessed or you'll be prosperous, you'll get more. I think he will appeal to greed. But Satan's promises are always empty. And they will be in this case because he is the great deceiver. Jesus warned us about this in Matthew 24, 24. He said, there will be signs when the Antichrist comes and he will do great signs and wonders and deceive many, Jesus said. This is a specific fulfillment of the prophecy Jesus gave. And in 2 Corinthians 11, when Paul was describing, a, he was describing apostles, write it down and read it later. 2 Corinthians 11, 14 and 15. He says, it is no wonder that false apostles can deceive people because Satan himself can make you think. He can transform himself into an image of light and beauty, which is the opposite of darkness and ugliness, which is what he is. Which is why we must teach our children to discern, test the spirits. That's why you want to give your children the very best Christian education you can give them in the Word of God. Have them in Sunday school every Sunday. It's the least you can do so that they will be able to discern the deceiver. In fact, Don, are we going to have the learn to discern or have we got, in May, we got something planned on that. Learn to discern. Teach your children how to discern. Discern what is false. Uh, Adam, come up here just a minute, would you? I want you to come up to the platform. This is Adam Underwood. I love his suspenders. I love his tie, like his white shirt. Yeah, just come around on up here. Uh, Am I embarrassing you? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I was hoping you would say no. This is Adam. I like this young man. This is, uh, he's rock, rock solid because he's Rocky's boy. Okay. Now, I'm standing at this microphone And I have on, this coat belongs to me. These trousers belong to me. They fit me. I am saying to you, I am Mark Kortz. Now, how many of you think I really am Mark Kortz? Raise your hand. You really think I am? Okay. Now, Adam, put on my coat, if you would. Yeah, put it on. And uh, kind of button it in front there. Now walk up to the microphone and tell them that you are Mark Quartz. <laughs> uh, I'm Mark Quartz. <laughs> and how many of you believe that he is Mark Quartz? Now he's got the coat and I don't. Now you step back. I am Adam Underwood. How many believe I'm Adam Underwood? Oh, you say, Quartz, that's simple. Really? What are the factors which tell you I am not Adam Underwood. Well, Adam doesn't have gray hair. But Adam has a tie, and I have a tie. Mark Quartz had a coat, and he's got Mark Quartz's coat on. But if you look carefully, how would you understand that he is masquerading? (laughs) The coat doesn't what, class? Fit how discerning you are. 
uh, khakis don't go with a double-breasted coat jacket. Amen? I mean, not normally. I think that's true. Fashion experts, is that true? Okay. So you discern that this is a deceiver. He is not the real thing. And you look closely at him and you can tell that coat doesn't fit. But when I put it back on and he acknowledges he is Adam Underwood and I am Mark Kortz, now everything fits. It looks right, feels right. It is right. Why can't we learn to be so filled with the Word of God and so filled with the Spirit of God that we in this age will recognize the deceiver when he comes. That's all I'm asking of you. To be as wise in discerning Satan from God as discerning Mark Quartz from Adam. I was going to let you finish the sermon. <laughs> if you've never been saved, I tell you, Satan is doing everything he can using these four ways to keep you from coming to Christ. If you're on the fence, I'm telling you, it is simply easy to be deceived. And he will come at you with all force to deceive you, to persecute you, to discourage you, to take God's place in your life. Unless you stay surrendered, filled with the word, filled with the spirit, and yielded to the sovereign God. Amen. Amen. Let's stand in prayer. Heavenly Father, open our eyes so that we will not be deceived. Fill us with your word. Help us to be so familiar with the voice of Jesus and the ways of Jesus and the power of Jesus and the purposes of Jesus that we cannot be deceived by a masquerader. Just as this congregation is so familiar with me, they could not be deceived by a masquerader. Speak to someone who's been fooled by Satan and led to believe that you cannot forgive all of their sin. It's too deep, it's too great. And show them your grace and draw them to Christ in his name. Amen.